Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Some of you might be hearing that song for the very first time. Others may say, I think I heard it on the radio once or twice. But for me, I have been listening to that song every day for the last month and a half. And the message of that song has worked its way deep down into my soul. And so let me give you the chorus one more time. I want to be different. I want to be changed. Till all of me is gone, and all that remains is a fire so bright the whole world can see there's something different. There's something different. There's something different in me. Friend, that has become the greatest desire of my heart, especially this month as I've been doing so much work in the book of Colossians. Colossians tells us that we can be different. And now I don't mean independent different or simply different on the outside. I'm talking about changed and transformed from the inside out. And another way to say that, the Colossians way, is spiritual circumcision or circumcision of the heart. Last week in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11, we read where it says that in Jesus you were circumcised. In who? Not in Abraham, not in Moses or any of the other Old Testament prophets. Paul said, in Jesus you were circumcised. In the putting off of the sinful nature, not a circumcision of the flesh done by the hands of men, but with circumcision of the heart done by Christ himself. Circumcision of the heart is a tremendous gift that we have all received because of what Jesus already did for us on the cross. And not only has he forgiven all of our sins, that's what the the Bible tells us. He was wounded for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities and all of the wrongs that we did. He forgave us of all that. But in addition to forgiving us of all of our sins, he gave us freedom and victory over the sinful flesh. That means we are no longer slaves to sin. And we don't have to be like everyone else. We don't have to think, behave, or act the way other people behave and act. That means we can be different. And that's what I want. In my own life, in my own heart, I want that more than anything else. Not only do I want people to be able to see the difference, I want to be able to see it myself. Presenting and sending myself to the gospel message and to the filing down work of the Holy Spirit until something changes in my life. I want that. And I know some of you do too. In fact, that has become the desire of your heart. And I know that God is working in each of us And because we've had conversations 
And some of you are no longer satisfied with the ordinary or the mundane. You crave transformation and you crave spiritual increase. And so whenever that kind of thing happens, when there is a spiritual dissatisfaction or restlessness among the people of God like there is today, it can only mean one thing. It means God is at work. Amen. That God is doing something big. And what he's doing, he's gently bumping us out of our comfort zone and trying to get us to stretch a little bit. And here's what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church today. Are you ready? Do you want to hear? The Spirit of the Lord is saying it's time to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's time to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And uncomfortable is just surrendering your heart to God. That's really the only way any real progress can be made. That's the only way that we can stay in step with the Spirit. If you want to stick to the way you're doing things, you're going to be behind what God is doing. But I sense that something is taking place in the church today, and God is drawing us to himself. But we have to be willing to take that step. And so the, the spiritual restlessness that you're feeling, it's coming right from the throne of God. If there's something happening in your heart and you're questioning a bunch of different things and you're wondering what in the world's going on, that's coming right from God. Because he loves us so much, he's encouraging us to take that next step. He wants us to move forward in him. And the only thing that you're going to be able to do to satisfy the restlessness in your heart is to say yes to God. Not yes to you, not yes to everybody else, not yes to what the world has to offer, but yes to God. And I don't know about you, but I am so ready for full surrender to him. Any other takers? I know you're feeling it. I know uh, in your own prayer times, in your own quiet times with the Lord, you are crying out to him. And let me just say, God has been hearing your cries. Amen. And God is leading us by his spirit. Okay, over the past couple of weeks now, as I have conducted an in-depth study of the book of Colossians, I realized that what was happening in Colossae 2,000 years ago is actually happening today. You know, some people think that the Word of God is outdated, but the Word of God is for us. It's the way that God wrote it, the way He designed it and inspired it, is so that anyone could read it at any time and apply it to their lives. So the more that I uh, studied Colossians over the past month or so, uh, I realized that what was happening, what Paul was attempting to address in Colossae, is happening today. And here's our dilemma. The current culture that we're in has undermined the lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. The current culture that we're in has undermined the lordship of Jesus Christ. And when I say the culture, when I use that phrase or that term, I'm not talking about the culture of the world. The world rejected Jesus from day one. The world refused to acknowledge that Jesus was the Son of God. They turned their back on his lordship right from the very beginning. And unless there's a revival that we're all praying for and a super move of God, that's not going to change anytime soon. And so when I talk about the culture, I'm not talking about the culture of the world. I'm talking about the culture of the church. And the church of Jesus Christ has literally diminished 
and minimized his lordship. The lordship of Jesus Christ has been undermined in the church. Today we have made it extremely fashionable for unbelievers to call upon the name of Jesus for salvation, but to never fully surrender their lives to him. In so many churches today, Jesus is heralded as Savior, and rightly so. The one who came from heaven and came to earth as a man, he died on the cross for our sins. He paid the price for our redemption. He taught us all about grace and mercy and showed us the love of God. And so we love the Savior side of Jesus. And who wouldn't? It's a message that we can fully embrace and engage in. But it's the Lordship peace that we have a little trouble with. It's understanding like we were singing during the worship time to declare that he's Lord over all again. That he's in charge of my life. That I live and I move and I breathe because of him. And that is the very issue that Paul was attempting to address in the book of Colossians. He said, wait just a minute, church of Jesus Christ, faithful brothers and sisters of the Lord. Men of God, those of you who have carried the gospel message, wait just a minute. Jesus reigns supreme. In him we have, he has the preeminence. He's not just a Lord, he's King of kings and Lord of lords. Paul was making that message very clear to us. And I said it last week like this, long before Jesus carried the cross to Calvary, he was calling the shots in eternity. The Bible says he's the firstborn over all creation. Doesn't mean he was created. He wasn't. He's the first and the, and the last, the beginning and the end. In fact, he created all things, and all things were created by him and for him. And furthermore, the only reason we are on this planet is to bring glory and honor to the king, not the other way around. That's our ministry. That's the reason we exist is to bring glory and honor to God. And again, let's not lose sight of the gospel message that tells us Jesus came to earth as a man. He died for our sins. He paid the price for our redemption. He gave us the promise of eternal life with the Father forever and ever. But after he died and was raised back to life again, the Bible tells us that God exalted him to the highest place where he once was and gave him a name above every name. And it was in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 that Peter said, there is no other name under heaven whereby men or we can be saved. That word saved in the Greek is a big word. It's the word sozo, S-O-O-Z-O. It means to be made whole, spirit, soul, and body, to be different on the inside, to be changed and transformed. Sozo saved doesn't stop with the promise of heaven where many believers end. It goes well beyond just knowing that you have a gift of eternity with the Father. Sozo saved teaches us all about surrender and what it means to fully give our lives to God. Bottom line, the strategy uh, to satisfying the longing and desperation of the soul is more of him 
and less of me. That's what John the Baptist taught us. In fact, his ministry, short-lived, said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He must increase and I must decrease. Say that. He must increase, I must decrease. That's lordship. That's what lordship is all about. And that is the only way that we're going to be different on the inside. It's the only way that we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, to cut away the things that need to be gone, and to give us the things that we so desperately need. All right, today is lesson number three of the Colossians series. And what I'm going to do this morning is going to challenge and maybe even frustrate those of you who struggle with OCD. Uh, because what we're going to do is actually violate chronological order. And I am going to lead you through Colossians chapter 4 today. That's right. I'm going to jump ahead of chapter 3, and we're going to go to chapter 4. And the next Sunday, Pastor Chris is going to back it up, and he's going to take chapter 3. So that means in this series, and I know this is going to mess you up. I apologize in advance. It's going to be Colossians 1, Colossians 2, Colossians 4, and Colossians 3. Can you handle that? All right. If you can, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it's going to be. All right. We're going to take a look at Colossians chapter 4 today. So let's read through the whole chapter. There's 18 verses, so let's try to lock in to these verses, okay? Uh, Colossians 4, verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too. Pray that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They together will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Thank the Lord for people like that. He's rustling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke the, bro uh, the doctor and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the, ch the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read this letter, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, 
See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Okay, with the exception of the first six verses of this fourth and final chapter, Colossians chapter 4, Paul spends the majority of his time here bringing the letter to a close and passing along final greetings. And included in his closing comments, he actually validates and endorses key members of his leadership team. And he mentions a few of the people that have really been a blessing to him. Those who have prayed for the church. Those who have carried the responsibility of ministry. He lets the church know that these are solid believers, solid brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then consistent with most of his writings, Paul, before he says goodbye, he makes every opportunity to communicate hope and encouragement. And this was Paul's trademark. He always was trying to challenge and inspire the people in their faith. So this writing, like all of the other writings, it contains a last-minute message from Paul to continue on in the faith and to follow the example of other believers and to make sure that you know how valuable you are to the kingdom of God. So I'm not going to spend any more time uh, this morning with verses 7 through 18. As we were reading, if anything here in these verses piqued your interest or grabbed your attention, then I'm going to ask you to follow up. And first chance you get, not this morning, but maybe later on this week, do a little bit more study and go back and reread it. In the time remaining, however, I do want to zero in on two different sets of instructions that Paul gives to us in the opening six verses of this final chapter, beginning with verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Devote yourselves to prayer. Say that. Devote yourselves to prayer. Now say it with zeal. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Okay, when you heard those first four words in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. I don't want you to say anything, but when you heard those first four words, devote yourselves to prayer, what was the first thing that came to your mind and be honest, and even after I made you repeat it a couple times. What came to your mind? Well, if you didn't immediately check out or initiate a spiritual disconnect, I'm going to tell you exactly what happened for most of us. Not all of us, but for most of us, we got hit with a sudden blast of guilt. And the reason that the guilt came is because if there's an area in our lives these days that need a little refreshing, it's in the area of prayer. In fact, in a recent survey, 95% of all the Christians who responded to the survey, participated in the survey, said they need to pray more. 95%. That leaves 5% without guilt. No guilt for that 5% because they're the prayer warriors. They pray at a drop of the hat. They're searching for places where they can go and pray and use their gifts. So they don't have any guilt. But for the rest of us, instructions like being devoted to prayer, it can bring a certain amount 
of intensity and discomfort. And over the years, I've learned that believers can process guilt, remorse, failure, and excuse therapy all in a matter of a split second. We can do that so fast. And I'm thinking that's probably what happened for you in those seconds that we read uh, those two verses. That is why I absolutely love Colossians 2, uh, 4.2. Because here Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, comma. Not period, comma. Being watchful and thankful. So when I read a passage like that, and I do a little extra study, and I go into the Greek and, and try to understand what Paul was saying, it tells me that when I come to the Lord with a grateful heart, when I am thankful for everything that God has done for me and continues to do for me, when I mention those things that we sometimes take for granted, and after we pray about something and it goes our way, and I go back to God and I say, God, thank you for that. Thank you for being so kind. Thank you for opening the windows of heaven. Thank you for giving me favor. And thank you for promotion. And thank you that I'm healthy. When, when I do that, Paul says, that's being devoted to prayer. Having a thankful heart, coming before the Lord, is having a devotion to prayer. And furthermore, when I'm watching over my soul, and I understand the condition of my heart, and, and I, I do necessary things to correct it if my attitude is wrong, and I stand upon the Word of God, and I put my trust in Him, especially when I'm going through tests and trials, when things aren't going my way, and I'm wondering, Lord, what's happening here? Why have you lifted your favor from me? Why, uh, why aren't my prayers being answered? And when I continue to trust God, especially in those situations, according to Paul, that's being devoted to prayer. So when we do these things that we know to do, when we're thankful, when we're trusting God, when we're uh, encouraging other people in the faith, that's all being devoted to prayer. You see, prayer the word that sometimes causes us to zone out or to check out is so much more than just on your knees time. You know, when you're sitting there desperately trying to get through 15 minutes and you're into the third minute and you're looking at your watch and you're out of things to pray about and you, you, know, you don't know which worship song to play and you want to just sit there quietly for 15 minutes so you can say you had 15 minutes of prayer. Look, that's part of it. It's really important. I don't want to downplay that. Spending time in prayer that way is really important, but there's so much more to it than just that. Being devoted to prayer in the context of what Paul is trying to teach us in this book is a devotion to increase our relationship with him. Not to stay the same. Not to say 25 years ago I gave my life to the Lord and man, do I have testimonies of what happened back then. There's so many believers today, that's all they have is what God did for them and what God said to them when they first got saved. Paul said, don't do that. Be devoted to increasing your relationship with God, growing in God each and every day. Do that and watch what happens. 
Be the kind of person who's watchful, the kind of person who's thankful, the kind of person who comes to God with a worshipful heart. And you watch what God will do in your life. Because what's God, what God's going to do is verses 3 and 4. He's going to give you a deep desire for the gospel message of Jesus to be preached with passion. And for the preachers, like me, to flow with such a powerful and rich anointing that we will be able to proclaim the gospel message clearly and boldly. Friend, there, there's nothing worse than a weak message. There's nothing worse than having nothing to say, really, than what we've said in years past. And what makes the difference is not the preacher. Paul says it's the anointing. It's the power that's on the Word of God that comes to your heart and speaks a message to you. Just like Pastor Dan prayed earlier, that each one of us would receive our own message. You know, after the service, after the message, I could line 10 people up and ask 10 people what they heard. All 10 would say something different. Because if the message is worth anything, it's going to be giving you your own message of what you need to hear. And so it's very important for us to make sure that we're in that place of understanding how valuable it is for us to be on fire when it comes to listening to the Word of God. Paul says, when the Word of God is preached that way, lives are changed. Transformation comes. Conviction will come. You can have a person who's rejected Jesus for his or her whole lifetime, and one anointed preached word could change that just like that. And Paul said, I need that. Every preacher needs that. The only way that I'm going to be effective, the only way that the Lord's going to open a door of ministry for me, the only way that I'm going to be able to proclaim the message clearly and boldly is when believers are hungry for it. When believers are on the edge of their seat, when they're locked into God, when they have made the decision that they are going to pursue God with all of their hearts. And that leads me to the second set of instructions that Paul gives to us here in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. He said, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I'm going to read that one more time. Let your conversation with believers and unbelievers be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. How many of you here enjoy French fries? And be honest. I, I didn't say you eat them all the time. Of course you don't eat them all the time. Look at you. I mean, you know, you're, you're healthy, you're disciplined, you only eat them every now and then because you know how bad they are for you, but you enjoy them, right? All right. Uh, last month in July, Teresa and I took our, our grandkids, Audrey and Gio, uh, to Muskegon, the west side of the state. We went to Michigan's Adventure. It's about a three-hour drive for us. And halfway there, uh, the kids got hungry and they wanted to eat, so they said, let's stop at Wendy's. Uh, Wednesday's drive-thru. W- Wendy's drive-thru. And so uh, we're forced to stop at Wendy's, and I'm forced to get some French fries. I mean, it, the kids, they wanted it. Right, and then I got a big one. 
Yeah, I got a, a large fry. And these fries that I had, they came right out of the fryer. You know, sometimes they sit around for a little bit. These were fresh, golden brown, hot, perfect in every way, except somebody forgot to salt them. There was no salt on the french fries and no little extra packets in the bag to salt them myself. Here's the truth. It is impossible to eat a french fry that has not been salted. <laughs> french fries need a ton of salt. All right. Paul said, so does the gospel. The gospel needs salt. And just so I'm not misquoted or misunderstood, let me clearly say that the gospel message stands alone. We could never add anything to the gospel that Jesus hasn't already done. In fact, we are instructed in the word of God not to remove anything, not to add anything to it all. However, here in Colossians 4, we're admonished to present the gospel message in a grace-filled way. And the illustration that Paul gives to us is seasoned or flavored with salt. This is the way that we are to present the good news to people. Seasoned with salt. The point is grace is how we receive the gospel and grace is how we should preach it. When we preach the gospel message, it should be a message of grace. And Paul says that we are to always conduct ourselves in a positive, uplifting, and non-judgmental way. When we are presenting the gospel message, doesn't matter who we're presenting it to, doesn't matter who we're giving the gospel to, he says, I want you not to be harsh, not to be judgmental. I want you to give this grace-filled gospel to other people, and I want you to flavor it with salt. Now, a parallel verse to this one is Ephesians 4.29. In Ephesians 4.29, Paul said, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is every time we talk. No matter what we say. Whenever we feel the need to give somebody instructions or advice or lead even an unbeliever to the place of the gospel... We are not supposed to be harsh and judgmental in any way. It should always be for the purpose, Paul said, of building others up and benefiting those that we're talking to. Can I repeat that again? Our conversation should always be for the purpose of benefiting others who are listening, building them up, encouraging them, inspiring them even when they reject us. Now, this will come as a shock to some of you, and you're going to have a really hard time comprehending this. And I'm sorry to tell you this, honestly, because I'm your friend. But you are not on the earth. God did not put you on the earth to correct everybody else. Amen. That's not your assignment. Uh, some of you need to hear that. God did not give you the ministry of pointing out everybody else's flaws. God said to us through his word multiple times, when you talk to other people, you should have one thing in mind, building them up. 
edifying them, benefiting them, regardless of what your conversation is all about. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth ever, ever. So a harsh gospel, a judgmental gospel, a gospel that is ripping somebody apart, that's not the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's not the one that Paul taught us to preach. He wants us to be able to present to people a flavored with salt gospel message. And when you don't present it that way, when you and I become harsh in our communication, it's just as untasteful as unsalted french fries. Can't eat it. Can't receive it. Okay, one final thought, and then we're going to be done for today. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5 says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Do you know who the outsider is? It's the unbeliever. It's people of the world. That's right. In fact, the New Living Translation uses that exact terminology. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers. Do you know that in his writings, even though Paul was writing to the church, that he was an apostle to the Gentiles? Do you remember that? God called Paul as an apostle to the Gentiles. You know, he, he originally wanted to go to the Jews. He wanted to straighten the Jews out because they had all kinds of bad doctrine and theology. But they rejected him so much and they would not listen to him. They were so stubborn in their ways that he said, he threw his hands up in the air and said, that's it, I'm going to the Gentiles. And God anointed him to preach the gospel message to the Gentiles, to the unbelievers. Now, he planted churches, he equipped the saints, he did a lot of good things for the kingdom of God. I mean, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But his main ministry was the gospel message to unbelievers. When he went into every town, he looked for the people who were the most messed up. The people who this broken world had completely tried to destroy. Those are the people that he went after. Those are the people that he met with. Read through some of those verses through the, uh, the book of Acts and find out how many times he was persecuted by going to the unsaved. Do you know God still has a heart for those kinds of people? God still loves the unsaved? And Jesus commissioned the church, that's you and me, to preach the gospel message to those who don't know it. Do those have little faith or no faith or the wrong faith? Even the wrong faith. We're supposed to reach out to these people. And so I, we're not just called to invite the backslider back to church or to reach out to those who stop going to church and are having difficulties, someone who's given their life to Christ years ago. I mean, we're still supposed to reach out to those people. But Paul is saying, be wise in your ministry to the unbeliever. We still have to have in our hearts the people who are not saved. And we have to do a better job with our ministry to people like that. We have to be more willing to welcome them and accept them. And now I'm talking about the people you have a really hard time being around. People that look differently, they talk differently, they act differently than we do. 
And I know some of you are deathly afraid of us becoming the kind of church where all we do is welcome unbelievers. We've always been a church that welcomes unbelievers since day one. We have always had a heart for the unsaved. Now, if you're thinking we're going to flop over and become one of those seeker churches, I promise you we're not going to do that. We're going to be the church that God calls us to be. If he wants to make some adjustments, we're going to try to follow. But we're going to be a church where both believers and unbelievers, insiders and outsiders, feel welcome and loved. That's, that's what Paul tells us. That. It's a part of the lordship message, see? If you only see Jesus as your savior, when the church puts Jesus up as the savior and you draw from that, then you say, yeah, I'll give me everything that, I, that you can give me, Lord. I'll take everything that you have. Give me salvation. Give me the promise of eternal life. Give me provision. That's when you see Jesus as savior. When you see him as Lord, then you are more interested in other people, not just yourself. The, the lordship side of Jesus has the unbeliever and the outsider in mind, not just the believer. And so Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Don't lose out on an opportunity. If, if God crosses, if you cross path with someone who is desperate for the gospel, give them that message and give it to them with a whole bunch of salt. They're going to enjoy it. Okay. Um, we're going to do something a little bit differently here, uh, and I'm going to tell you about it in just a minute. But I, I do, I, I do want to tell you why we switched the chapters, okay? Because some of you are thinking that was a little bit odd, and, and it is, okay? When we, when we gave the, uh, the chapter assignments like we do, and I don't know if we've mentioned this to you in the past, some of you know, but we're, we're typically a couple of months ahead in our planning, and just because we're uh, uh, nine weeks ahead in our planning, it doesn't mean that we undermine the Spirit of the Lord's opportunity to work and give us a fresh word or the word for the day. What it just means is that we know in advance what we're doing as far as the service is concerned. And so when we planned this series a couple of months ago, I was given chapter one, chapter two, and chapter four, and Pastor Chris was given chapter three. And so uh, he was supposed, Pastor Chris was supposed to be preaching today, and I was going to preach next week and, and bring the, the, chap, the, the book to an end. It didn't work out that way because I can't preach next week. I'm going to be in the hospital. Uh, I've mentioned this to you in the past. I have a, a, an, AFib, an AFib condition with my heart. Um, it's not life-threatening, but it causes my heart to go out of rhythm. And when you go out of rhythm, it's not very pleasant. And so uh, we've come to the place now here some seven or eight years later where my cardiologist feels the need to correct that. And so I'm going to be going into the hospital on Tuesday and having the procedure on Wednesday. And so I would appreciate your prayers. I'm anticipating that I'm going to be out by Friday or Saturday and doing very well. Okay? And so I'll thank you for believing along those same lines. Uh, this past week, I was able to meet with the elders of our church, and they laid hands on me, anointed me with oil, and I have a lot of peace going into this procedure. And so if you, if you have questions, or if you'd like to know how things are going, you can call the church office, and they'll be able to update you. But just keep me in mind on Wednesday. Okay, can we do that? Yeah. Right. 
All right, as you heard uh, Pastor Chris say during the video announcements, we are going to dismiss in just a couple of seconds, and I'm going to encourage everybody to go upstairs to the mezzanine, especially those of you who, uh, when we say life groups, you run in the other direction. Life groups will be a blessing for you. They, they will. We, we have so many testimonies of people who fought them for so long, and now it's one of the greatest part of their Christianity. And so I'm going to encourage you, especially those of you who have not participated in the life groups before, just go check it out. You can get a free cup of coffee, you can get a refreshment, and grab a booklet, ask a couple questions. It doesn't mean if you go upstairs you're going to get locked in. You're not going to get locked in, all right? But you will, you will enjoy a life group. And a life group will help you do some of the things that we've been teaching here the last several months, especially what we've been talking about that's found in the book of Colossians. Lordship of Jesus Christ, you need help with that. You need other believers to encourage you in the faith that way. So I'm going to ask you to take a couple minutes. It's one of the reasons why we're dismissing a little bit early so that you can go upstairs, get a cup of coffee, it's free, and just check things out. And those of you who are leading the life groups and are assigned upstairs, uh, you can be dismissed right now as we close out in prayer. Okay, let's do that. Father, we thank you for your word. It's so alive to us, Lord. Your, your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's quick, it's sharp, it's powerful than any two-edged sword. And I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the privilege of being able to dispense your word to your people. And what encourages my heart so much, Lord, is the reception of your word. Having brothers and sisters on the edge of their seat, listening, involved, engaged, uh, applauding, Lord, your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are leading your church today. That you're asking us to step out of our comfort zone. And your word is that we need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because that's what's going to happen in the days to come. It's going to be an uncomfortable, awkward time spiritually. We're going to feel this restlessness. We're going to have these questions and, and try to chart our way through and navigate our way through life and asking what in the world is going on. But Lord, you want to answer us. You want to lead us. You're, you're helping us to take the next step. And I thank you that Community Christian Church is going to follow hard after the living God. We're going to stay in step with the Spirit. We're going to do, Lord, what it is that you ask us to do. And I thank you, Lord God, for blessing us with a real hunger for your word, that we could hear it and not just hear it, but respond to it. I thank you, Lord, for ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church today. And I thank you, Lord, for a congregation that is devoted to prayer, devoted to being watchful and thankful, devoted to trusting you and standing upon your word and looking to you in every situation. And we pray, Lord, for this procedure. Uh, this week, we're asking, Lord, uh, for the name of Jesus to be exalted. We pray, Lord, for a miracle. We pray for uh, full recovery. And we just ask, Lord, for every need in this congregation today, we bring it before your throne. You are the God who hears and answers. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. God bless you. We'll see you upstairs. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.